Okay, good morning, Pete Giuliano. It is, what is it, Saturday, the 20th of March, 2021, and that makes this solder smoke. What's the number, Pete? 229. Crank it in, Ralph. Crank it in. 229. Crank it in, Ralph. There. Hey, listen, first, big news. Big, big, and I mean big news. The G2NJ Trophy has been awarded by the GQRP Club for a con- for the best contribution to international QRP for his many articles in QRP Quarterly and Sprat, his YouTube videos and his blogs. The award this year goes to none other than our Pete Giuliano N6QW. Congratulations, well, Pete. Thank, thank you, and uh, yeah, I'm I'm most appreciative of the award, but I also hope that others who are making contributions and are not being recognized someday will get that recognition because there's a lot of people doing some amazing things to advance the the tenets of our hobby, and so uh, I, I most you know most appreciative of the award, but I hope everybody who's who's doing things also gets recognized. Uh, well, totally listen, surprising. I, I, I w- I was really delighted to see you. You get the recognition richly deserved. So congratulations, Thank you. Pete. Excellent. All right. Now, first we have to got to do a little travel. Well, not really. Well, anti travel log. This has is related to the stay in the shack uh, thing. Sits as we've been calling it. Um, it. It's time. It's. I. I think Pete. I think the best way to put it. It's time to make at least one or two visits outside the shack now. Oh. Okay. One or two. It's it's a for, for the good of the community, the family, and for the individual concerned. The, those trips outside the shack could be those trips to get your vaccination. It's yes. time to get vaccinated, if you can. If you're on the list, if if it's your turn, if if you know it, it's complicated, it's different all around the world and in all around the United States. It's done on a county by county level here, but when your number comes up, definitely, I would say. Go out and get the shot. It makes a big difference. Yeah, it could make your life a lot easier, and it could make things a lot safer for you and for your family and for your neighbors. So I know a lot of people are getting impatient with this, but now is not the time for impatience. I mean, as we've been hearing from Dr. Fauci and others, we have to keep our guard up. We don't want to to blow this at the end, and it's time to to kind of protect everybody around you. Mask up, keep the distance, and get the shots. Yes, absolutely. But but it's also a time for a little bit of levity, Bill. When I got my first shot, it was administered by this rather attractive YL, and uh, man, it was a big needle, and and she was so good that I didn't feel anything, and I looked at her, and I said, did we have fun? And she said, you bet we did. (laughs) (laughs) Pete, were you wearing your beret? Yes. Did you have your beret on? Yes, I did. That beret is going to get you into trouble, into trouble, trouble, trouble. Anyway, um... All right. I just wanted to, I wanted to start out with a little bit more from this book that I've been I finished reading, but it's really a lot of great stuff, a lot of really relevant stuff to us. Conquering the Electron by Derek Chung and Eric Branch. I've been talking about it here, and as I was reading it, I was thinking about you and the Solder Smoke listeners, and I, I kept notes on things that I wanted to mention. Now listen to this: modern memory chips, you know, in two thousand nineteen, two thousand twenty, have on them between 30 and 50 billion transistors. Wow, 30 to 50 billion transistors. Okay, some, you know, my, I was talking to my son about this, and he said, well, well, how small are they? 
Well, Eric uh, Derek Chung provides the answer. Um, some of the chips on some of the transistors on the chips are now only ten silicon atoms wide. Ten atoms wide, Pete. That, that that's tough to solder those things. I mean, yes. it, this, you talk about surface mount. Holy cow! That is that's that's really tough. And here's the other thing that I found interesting because I think about this sometimes. I think about you know how could how could you possibly understand what's going on? It's it's, it's way beyond human comprehension to understand how thirty to fifty billion you know transistors are interacting. I mean, we try to understand our circuits. We understand how the the balance modulator is working with the IF amplifier and the speech amplifier and all that kind of stuff and the, and the oscillator how the mixer works. Well, that kind of understanding is way, way long gone at 30 to 50 billion transistors. But here's the other thing that I, I, I didn't, I, I hadn't really focused on this because I don't live really in the digital world, but not only is it beyond the, the capacity of humans to, to understand, it's also beyond the capacity of humans to design. That's, this is an interesting thing. So these chips with 30 to 50 billion transistors on them are really not being designed by a human being. Nobody is sitting there down there thinking, "Oh well, okay, where do I place Q nine million six hundred eighty-seven billion nine billion six hundred eighty-seven million? You know, Q times nine point two six eight to the to the tenth times ten to the ninth. No, nobody's doing that. You know, they have software that does it, and they basically tell the software, "This is what we want." If you provide these inputs, this is what we want from when, in terms of outputs, and then the, the the software puts it all together, which is interesting and in some sense, I guess, kind of disturbing for me. Um, in the there, last, there's, a, there's another piece to that, Bill. I just wanted to share real quickly. My my number three son works in this arena. How do you test and measure what what, what you have? How how wow. do you know that it's all working? And that presents some significant challenges he happens to work for a company that kind of tests these chips in in process testing and 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 level testing and he says it's just a whole level of complexity because how do you know transistor number four seven seven two two one is dead <laughs> you know <laughs> i know how do you know how oh, do you yeah. Know? yeah how do you even know it's there yeah yeah <laughs> it's yeah. 10 silicon atoms wide yeah, yeah well here's the other thing last time i mentioned that the the first IC was created two days before my birth, and uh, so it's the, the IC is only slightly older than me. Um, but I read in 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 Derek Chung's book that when he was designing his first IC, he chose as the circuit, not not Derek, but the guy who did it. I think it was Kirby. Um, he chose uh, an Armstrong oscillator. You know, because, you know, that was really the first oscillator from 1914. So you have a 1914 Armstrong oscillator being used in the construction of the first integrated circuit. Hey, PC boards were invented in 1943. Yes, by a ham. By a Really? Yeah. That's around the time you were invented, too, isn't that correct? Yeah, yeah. 41. 41, there you go. So you, you only there's only two years before between you and ICs. All right, there yeah, you go. Yeah, you, you know what the application was? What? Proximity fuses. Oh, that's right. Yeah, I heard about Proximity that. Proximity yeah. fuses. They had to cram all these electronics in there, and this uh, this ham 
invented it said, why don't we put it on a printed circuit board because then we can make it compact and fit in the nose of the proximity fuses. Yeah. Yeah. But then then we got into the, the, the rather, I can't, I think kind of, I don't know, for me it's always a bit unseemly, you know, tubes on PC boards. What do you think? Oh, cool. <laughs> <laughs> Heathkit HW101, tubes on PC boards. Yeah, it just yeah, cool. It just doesn't seem, it does, you know, in Spanish they say arroz con mango, you know, rice with mangoes. It just doesn't go together. Yeah, you know? yeah, so, yeah. <laughs> anyway, um, and then here's one that I really got a laugh out of this. You know, so when they were when when they were creating Intel, Intel was founded by Gordon Moore and Robert Noyce. And I always thought Intel stood for like intelligence or something, but no, it stands for integrated electronics. They were trying to capitalize and and create a business around the new integrated circuits. And they were trying to think about a, a name for the new company. And of course, Hewlett Packard which used the names of the two creators of that great company came to mind. And they thought briefly that they should follow that pattern and just use their last names. But they realized that their last names sounded like, well, the last names were more noise, more noise, <laughs> more noise. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> not, not, good. A, not, not a good name for an electronic company. No, so that, no. then we ended up, we ended up with Intel. Um, anyway, I think that I thought that was all pretty interesting. Great, great book, Conquering uh, the Electron by Derek Chung, I recommend it. Pete, you know, speaking about this, I think you or somebody else, it might have been Farhan, let us know about this horrible, horrible fire in the large-scale integrated circuit factory that's causing trouble throughout the electronics industry. Did you hear about this? Uh, no. There was a fire or an explosion, yeah, that, that, that took out one of the main factories that produces very large-scale integrated integrated circuits. You know, I guess some of these chips with the 30 to 50 billion transistors. And now it's it's having a big effect all around the world on electronics that make use of these big, 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 big transistors and chips. You know, and, and so when, we, when Farhan first sent this around, my response was, oh, how unfortunate, how horrible. People are now going to have to homebrew with digital, with, 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 with discrete transistors and so pete listen i'd like everybody to know that i had nothing nothing yes. nothing to do with yes. this my i can account for my whereabouts your, at your all hands times are clean my hands are clean I, w- I was home that day my wife will testify that i was home the entire day i did you know had nothing to do with the very sad and unfortunate destruction of the very large-scale integrated circuit chip factory well let me just share something with you bill i i built the integrated circuit chip factory in st louis and uh, the things that we use in the processing are, are nasty things like silane, divarane, arsenic. I mean, if it didn't explode, silane, if it catches on fire, you can't put the fire out. It has to burn itself out. So if it doesn't explode, burn, poison you, and kill you outright, <laughs> it's not used. I mean, <laughs> yeah. It sounds like rocket fuel. Rocket yeah, fuel yeah. similarly toxic. Yeah, yeah. Silane. Wow. So, uh, yeah, but... It, <laughs> All right, I didn't realize. I mean, I, I I had a feeling that these things were kind of treacherous, you know, but uh, I didn't realize how treacherous. All right, very good. Hey, uh, one thing I wanted to say is we're in the beginning of the show here. You know, I, I, I almost every episode I've been bad mouthing poor Jeff Bezos. We talk about Bezos bucks, how happy we are to take Bezos money and everything else. But the other day, um, a newspaper article appeared that made me in- reconsider my opinion of Jeff Bezos. 
it, it turns out that Bezos may, in a certain sense, be one of us or, or, or related to us. He doesn't exactly have the knack, but he has knackish characteristics in that he has, for a long time, almost for all his life, since he was a boy, been a real space geek, interested in space technology. Um, at his high school graduation, he stood up and gave a speech about the benefits of going to space. He was emotionally moved by the movie October Sky, you know, which I think is uh, emotionally moved a lot of us. You know, those those, those kids out there in, in coal country, you know, building rocket rockets. Man. The rocket, rocket man. man. Oh, it's great stuff. He, Bezos was a big Star Trek fan. And so, I mean, all of this stuff, I think, makes me think, hey, look, we might have been a little bit hard on Bezos. So we're going to ease off on Bezos we're going to be nicer to him, given the fact that we have evidence that he could be, could be one of us. Speaking of space, and this, I guess, will wrap up our travel log. This is this is travel, vicarious travel, travel by electronic means, perseverance, the landing on Mars. Holy cow! We we needed some good news. We need something that we needed something that worked. My gosh, that was great, man! I I really got a kick out of, of watching that thing. And great shots of the thing coming down under the parachute, you know, and then and NASA put a code in 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 the inside the parachute so that you could see the code. And somebody decoded it. Somebody in France figured out that it said "Dare Mighty Things," the uh, the motto of the JPL, the Joint uh, the the Jet Propulsion Laboratory out there in Pasadena. Just fantastic stuff. Great video. Just just wonderful. Oh yeah. And, you know, related to this, you know, because I'm, I'm, I've been very interested in Mars for a long time. Um, and there was a story that, that, that went around about hams who are receiving signals directly from spacecraft that are in orbit around Mars. Apparently, the Chinese spacecraft that's there uh, in, in orbit it puts out a, a relatively big signal. And hams, I, I think there's one fell out in British Columbia, and I know there's some Germans involved also have been receiving signals direct from from Mars. Now that's pretty good. I mean, we used to talk about Earth Moon Earth as being the uh, the kind of the almost like the uh, the epitome of ham radio accomplishment. But when you're starting to pick up signals from from the red planet, you're getting close to Elser Mathis Cup territory, my friend. And, and that means low noise amplifiers on the front end. <laughs> very low noise, yes, and and in very directional antennas and all kinds of good stuff. Anyway, this made me think, of course, of our our Elser Mathis Cup that's still out there, still waiting to be claimed, sitting there in ARRL headquarters, waiting for the first two-way communications between Earth and Mars. Now, I understand that they've actually made a ruling. It has to be. It can't be with a robot on Mars, you know. So in other words, you can't you can't land something there, send something through the robot. It has to be with, I, th I guess, another sentient being. R real people, real people. Well, or real Martians. I think yes. when they set up the uh, when they set up this thing, they were still thinking that they could they could find, you know, Martians out there building canals and stuff. But I think that 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 you would also be eligible for it if if you made contact with a human being who was you know, hunker down on, on Mars. And this gets us to, uh, 
uh, to Tesla and uh, <laughs> and th those guys who think they're going to build you know space colonies on Mars. Elon Musk is going to colonize the place, which opens up a really exciting possibility for the Elser Mathis Cup. So stay tuned, my friends. Uh, the Elser Mathis Cup could be awarded in our lifetimes here. Pete, you you have been you have been amazingly prolific and busy at the bench. What's going on? Oh well. It's exciting, Bill, and there's a lot of, I keep saying this, a lot of exciting technology, low-cost, cheap stuff, <clears throat> literally plug-and-play. I, I ran across a, a really neat color TFT display that plugs right into a Raspberry Pi, and it's just like an HDMI screen, three and a half inches. So you can watch Netflix, <laughs> you can watch YouTube, <laughs> you could you could run SDR radios in this, and it comes with a case fitted for a Raspberry Pi four, an auxiliary cooling fan, and this display, twenty three dollars, twenty three dollars. I mean, something like that. You figured hundred bucks, you know, one hundred and fifty dollars, twenty three dollars. Just totally amazing. And the resolution is is quite good. I mean, uh, I got a couple of couple of videos of her. So I've been playing around with uh, the Raspberry Pi and uh, uh, putting some of the SDR radios in there. And and you really and I've even worked FT8. So I mean, the idea of a portable little portable rig that that's SDR that you could take out to a park bench is here. Oh man! I mean, it's not a pipe dream anymore. It's here. Yeah, it's here, and it's just totally amazing. And you and you figure you can get a Raspberry Pi for about thirty-five bucks. You get the screen for twenty-three. You know, a few other bits, parts, and pieces. Hundred bucks. You got a computer to fit in the palm of your hand, complete with display. It just blows your mind. You made you made some interesting comments about this, Pete, because you were talking about how <clears throat> the, um, the 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 ham homebrew and SDR communities seem to be sort of stuck in a microcontroller rut. Yes. And they haven't really fully embraced the, instead of using a microcontroller, instead of using an Arduino or something like that, they haven't really moved on and started using Raspberry Pi and other kind of mini computers. Well, what's going on there? Well, I, I call it the three C's, you know. Uh, it's a It's a cost. Uh, it's a capability uh, f factor that's involved. For one thing, you'll spend the same amount of money with a with a really good microcontroller like a Teensy with a codec board, and you need a display, and it's a wash with what you can get a Raspberry Pi with with this twenty three dollar display. So you you look and say, I'm going to spend sixty seventy dollars. Do I want a full computer or do I want a microcontroller? And and the Raspberry Pi uh, can do so much more. I mean, the signal processing. As a matter of fact, the micro SDX, which uses the Arduino, it's somewhat limited because that Arduino just has a limitation on its capability. You don't have that limitation of capability that you have with the uh, with the Raspberry Pi or ASUS Tinkerboard. So, and and there's available software. It's not like you'd have to invent it. Most of the microcontrollers. Um, <clears throat> projects the guys have to write the software from scratch the the arduino or the asus tinkerboard there's canned pieces of software you can just download and you're, you're ready to go to work i mean do i want to spend my time writing code or do i want to my, spend myself spend my time developing a complete 
brig project. So that was the thesis there is that a cost and capability, uh, you have so much more capability for the same cost. So that was the point that I was trying to make. And matter of fact, I even asked out of one one person who's aggressively working on a microcontroller-based SDR who will remain unnamed but may have a product offering coming out. I asked him that question. And the answer was, um, well, I operated in this realm for a long time, so I can do it. So I'd have to learn the Raspberry Pi versus what I already know. So, I mean, there, yeah. there's one answer. You know, hey, I know how to well, do this, so I'm, I'm on, using it. He's honest. At least, at least yeah. he's honest about it. Yeah. 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 Well, once again, Pete, you're on the cutting edge, and and it, it's it's it, it, it's great to watch you having so much fun with this. I, I was I often think, you know, you know, we have our little uh, kind of kind of tongue in cheek <clears throat> argument about SDR versus HDR, you know, analog versus SI fifty three fifty one. But if anyone has earned the right to to dabble in the, the in, in the in the in the frontier of SDR, you have because I don't think anybody in the world has built more analog. Uh, uh, SSB transceivers than you have, so it's 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 natural. Also, I mean, it's 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 important to do something new. I mean, once once you reach you know fifty SSB transceivers, you got to look for something else, or else you just start building the same thing over yeah. and over again. I I know of five separate groups that are working on SDR radios that'll ultimately either be a, a project that you can build with a group or they're coming out with a product offering. And I'd say by the 4th of July, you'll know about all five of them. Some of them are, are you know, well-known today, but there's a few more hiding in the bushes. And so it's putting putting in the hands. Kind of an interesting thing. Uh, you and I have been doing a lot of clubs <laughs> <laughs> as recently as 12 hours ago yeah <laughs> radio club and i i spoke to a uh, club uh cw club and i thought they wanted to hear about cw transceivers and i said in my presentation and i i got an answer back said oh this is really good but could you talk about sdr <laughs> yeah <laughs> so, <laughs> there you go and i said well why they said because for a CW guy with the SDR and the CAN software, you get all these filters, 200 hertz filters, you know, yeah. uh, CW upper, CW lower. Uh, you can band scan, you can do split operation. So th their interest was SDR only because the inherent capabilities that facilitated uh, what they were doing in the CW realm. But, I mean, it kind of floored me that, you know, here I was kind of analog CW transceivers, and they wanted to hear about SDR. So, Yeah. Talk, talking about analog stuff, um, you know, I, I, I've been watching your your blog, and what, what tell us about your, the conversion of the Dentron Scout. I did, I'd never heard of a Dentron <clears throat> Scout, and you were there converting one. Tell, well, what happened? Okay, well, I, I'm working on it, and I have, I'm at a point that I have to literally disassemble it. So uh, Dentron uh, got their name, claim to fame with amplifiers. They were building linear amplifiers, and the MLA 2500 was uh, one of one of the premier amplifiers. The uh, guys are jumping on these because they were good quality. And so then pretty soon they realized they were all tubes. And, and the guys from the Far East were coming out with the same power level, solid state. So they looked to branch out and they started building radios. And actually what Dentron was doing was buying boards from Japan or like a complete IF system. Then they put a 
power amplifier on it, and then they repackaged it, and they were selling it under their name. And the Dentron Scout was kind of interesting. I think it, it was a foray into the commercial realm, and essentially they were aiming this at the Civil Air Patrol. It was a 100-watt solid-state radio, crystal-controlled. So I spotted one on uh, uh, eBay, and I noticed that the board in there was the same board that they used in, in a transceiver that they were s selling. So this is crystal control, but the transceiver is VFO control. And I picked it up, and it's pretty complete. I've got the receiver working, and the lower level transmit stages are working. But t to fix something, they have these, they didn't do the DFMA. They got these two vertical boards in there, and to get access to the board to do any servicing, you have to literally disassemble the radio. So that's the next step, is I got to disassemble the radio <laughs> to get to the board. Uh, well, that's good. It'll keep it'll keep you busy. Yeah, but I've already you won't be back. You won't be back hanging around in the vaccine clinic looking to looking yeah, for the girl with the yeah <laughs> with the needle. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> the thing that's interesting is I got the receiver working. Uh, it was crystal control. I've got a uh, SI fifty three fifty one with a neat display, and I've kind of figured out how I'm going to rework the front panel so it'll it'll have the normal controls on it. But to take the next step and to fix the there's. At the low, low level uh, transmitter stages, it's working because you can put your scope on it and see the pattern. But but there's this driver stage that there's something wrong with it, and and you can't get to it to do any testing because it's it's an, on a vertical board. It's back to back with another board, and the only way you can get to it is you got to disassemble the whole radio. And I think the power amplifier is okay, but because of this driver stages, you get no output. So that, that's got to be, uh, you know, clear off the bench, <laughs> take everything apart, take pictures, document everything. But I, I intend to get that working. It'll be kind of cool. So neat small box, 100 watts. But it was only intended for the Civil Air Patrol. And so a lot of the constants like the low-pass filter and, and, and band-pass filter, they're kind of in the 4 to 6 megahertz range. So you can tune them up. I've tuned the band-pass filter on the receive up to the 40 meter band so it'll end up being a single band transceiver be, be kind of cool because it's a relatively small box you could you could get it out to the the 60 meter band too, oh yeah right there yeah right there yeah. although it's pretty lonely there most of the time but uh, yeah yeah but that'd be fun it sounds like it's sort of in the right in the right range well yeah. that's really interesting i I had never heard of a dentron scout okay that explains it the civil air patrol all right hey uh pete you mentioned that we were we've been talking to clubs and uh, the first one we talked to, uh, we, we, the River City Amateur Radio Communication Society. That was fun yeah. out there in California. Yeah. Wow. You could, <clears throat> I was up late, but and I, I, I think I was half groggy. But uh, but but that, it, it was a lot of fun talking to all these clubs. But one thing I, I really in, I really was struck by was your very generous reference to CW rigs, CW rigs that you have built. <laughs> and uh, and I, I said, "Holy cow! Is this what what, what happened to Pete Giuliano? Who took who, who? Where is he? And what have they done to him?" Yeah, <laughs> CW Riggs. All right. Yeah, you and I both seem to be drifting drifting back into CW for a strange reason yeah. here. Just it's just a it's a fate. You go through it. It happens for a while. But tell tell us about about your recent uh, kind of involvement in <clears throat> CW. Well, actually. Um I was approached because someone we both know, uh, it's a, one of the club officers to speak to this club. And essentially what they did is there's a QST article late last year that, that was like a tuna tin two, but they, uh, they put an Arduino and they put a, uh, 
a display on it, and uh, they're keying an IRF 510. So uh, they had boards made in China, and it's a club project that they're they're building this. So they said, well, well, you know, come and talk to us about about this. And so I just had some projects that I worked on, and, and we shared with them. Although it's kind of intriguing, Bill, and this is this is really fascinating. The guy wrote the article for for QST. He essentially takes the um, Arduino, and he's almost driving the IRF 510 directly. So he only gets about a half a watt out of this thing. And so they're, they're building this and they're saying, gee, it's, it's got a VFO on it, but it's only a, at a half a watt. And, and yet most of the, and it's a class E, and most of these rigs that have are class E like that, like the QCX, for instance, is a five watt rig. So they're, they're looking to maybe make some mods to it to, to drive it. But he's keying the IRF 510, and I'm saying, why don't you key the Arduino? I mean, to me, that you don't have would, to worry about chirp. Yeah, 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 yeah. So, I mean, it's an interesting article, but the guy just keys the IRF 510 right, right in the the, the source. You know, there, you got a key in there, and you're just turning it on and off. And I said, gee, you could do some interesting things if you keyed the Arduino. You could even put in canned messages so you punch a button it'll send cq with your call <laughs> you know lots you things know, it's you, funny. Can do. you talk about canned messages let me just jump ahead one second here just before because i'll forget if i don't mention it now you know i, I i'll talk in a few minutes about how i've been i have been dabbling in sdr and waterfalls mm, dark I side know, dark I know, side I know, but here, here's the thing one of the things that made me realize as i did this is that if everybody's sitting there looking at the waterfalls people are no longer tuning up and down the band the way we used to it used to be that the way you would scan the band is where you you'd twirl your fingers around and you would you would in the course of going up and down the band you'd you'd hear what was going on and you'd pass through one you know one net two two guys rag chewing there's some dx guy going on um there's a couple of locals talking up oh, there's a guy calling cq and you, you i think you were actually more likely to find somebody calling cq under that old system than we are today where people are sitting there just looking at a waterfall and you can't tell from the ssb patterns there whether you're seeing somebody calling CQ or you're just seeing somebody where you could see one side of the conversation, but the other the other fellow's in the skip zone. So I was just, I don't, I don't know, I, would, I, I imagine it could be done, but it would be kind of useful if, you know, at the start of a CQ in the SSB world that something visual came across so that somebody who was just watching the patterns would see maybe the letters CQ or just some sort of visual pattern that would alert, not the listener, but alert the viewer to the fact that the person on 7133 kilohertz is calling CQ. You know, see yeah, what I'm that's saying? That's for, fourth quarter. <laughs> what do you mean? <laughs> fourth quarter of this year. <laughs> I, I, that'll be coming. <laughs> yeah. Well, see, on CW, though, you can tell. Oh yeah, you could tell. You could see it. You of could course see you can. it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But not on phone. No. Not on phone. Fourth and, quarter. And so, it, I I find that that it's it's easy to get um, somebody to respond to a CQ 
on CW, it's it's a little bit harder on phone. And I think part of it is part of it may be that guys are just not tuning up and down and listening the way they used to. But I digress. Pete, we, we're really glad that you 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 were very magnanimous in in uh, putting out some stuff about about CW rigs, and I liked the picture that you put up about your first uh, your six L six on a wooden chassis rig, and you survived. Yes, <laughs> yes, yes. Pete, I think it's time for the shameless commerce. Yes, SCD. All right, now we have a little. We're changing it around a little bit this time, because I want to mention something that we we introduced. Uh, a few solder smokes ago, and that's um, uh, Patreon. We, we've we've become users of Patreon. I did this because <clears throat> I was getting kind of jealous of the SV Delos and Leo Sampson and these other YouTube guys who have Patreon sponsors, and they're always talking about their Patreon sponsors. So I said, heck, solder smoke should have Patreon sponsors too. So I filled out the form, and I got the Patreon thing. Guys, people like it. People have been signing up as Patreon sponsors. And then, then I thought, well, these people are so nice. They're being our Patreon sponsors. They're providing you know monthly support to the podcast. But we aren't really doing anything special for them. Now, we want to do something for them, but we don't want to take away from the ordinary non-Patreon you know, community. So the only thing I've been doing is when I make a video, the guys on the Patreon system get to see it first. So they'll get the first first look at it and then it's not like we're going to just make it sort of very exclusive so that nobody else will be able to see it eventually everybody else will be able to see it because i'll put it up on the blog and we'll, we'll do it that way but <clears throat> the patreon folks do get kind of an early look at at the video so i encourage everybody who's interested who wants to support the podcast think about becoming a patreon sponsor it's easy to do and you get an early look at the videos it's up in the upper left hand corner of the soldersmoke.blogspot.com page um, oh, another thing related to this on my, uh, my, the YouTube channel, um, to get, well, well, YouTube wants before they'll give you any kind of, uh, ads or anything like that, that will really, would really help out with the podcast before they'll put any ads there. You have to reach a certain number of, um, uh, followers and a certain quantity in the course of a year of viewing time. So we, we already have as many followers as we need quite a few people are following the solder smoke youtube channel the problem is we're, we don't have enough kind of viewing time so what what i would ask is that that if you're sitting around the shack and you need to, something to watch or something to listen to just go to the solder smoke uh youtube channel the links are on the blog and just look at uh, our our videos and and you know especially the longer ones because that would that would help build up the, uh, the, the number of hours of viewing of the, the Sutter Smoke uh, YouTube videos. I'll put, the, I'll put a link up to the, to the channel, but, um, but please take a look there. And also, please continue to use the Amazon search engine in the upper right-hand corner of the soldersmoke.blogspot.com page. And again, we, we take back all the terrible things that we said about Seth Bezos. <laughs> do, do you remember the SETI stuff? The SETI, yes, yeah, Search for Extraterrestrial Intelligence. Yeah, where where you could sign up for this program, and then while your computer was ostensibly idle, it was doing background processing. Yeah, yeah. So you need to get one of the software guys in the Solder Smoke Podcasts listener group that will connect to your 
solder smoke channel <laughs> while the computer's oh. idle. <laughs> I, I, I think that would be illegal, Pete. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> they want no, no, they want actual human beings. No, 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 that's, no, no. no. <laughs> and then he was indicted. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there you go. No, no, no. Pete's only kidding, everybody. <laughs> hey, uh, listen, uh, this, uh, I'm not. Gonna, there's a couple of stories I could tell, but I, I'd probably better not. So I'll just let it go at that. But um, all right, now I got. Now I'll tell you what's going on on my workbench. I, I've been talking about this hodgepodge project, probably maybe a bit too much, but I've been having a lot of fun with it, and it, it really is kind of, kind of the final stages of stay of the shack quarantine. It was, you know, it, the quarantine and stay in the shack was bad enough until winter hit. Then winter hit, it made it even worse. Because not only were you trapped inside, but you were doubly trapped because you couldn't go out any, out anywhere. Everything was frozen over. You couldn't even go for a walk because of the ice on the sidewalks over here. So, and, and not only that, I had already kind of built everything that I wanted to build. I had repaired or re-repaired most of the, the rigs in the shack. The Lafayette HA600A, I built a shortwave receiver. I recapped the Drake 2B. I, I was running low on pro. I even fixed an FM broadcast receiver that I, that I had sitting around the shack. So then I said, okay, well, let me just see what I could just throw together in terms of bits and pieces of rigs. And we came up with what, what I call the hodgepodge, which it the core of it is a BIDX40 module board. That, that Farhan developed a few years ago. And it's a complete 40-meter SSB transceiver on one little bore about four inches by six inches. And I took that and I paired it up with uh, something that we picked up as a result of your recommendation, the VFO from a Galaxy 5 transceiver. Now, I solid-stated the thing. It doesn't have a tube in it. So there's a, a, a Galaxy 5 VFO solid-stated hooked up to the... Um, uh, to the BIDX40 module, I found an old Ramsey kit amplifier that I had. Ramsey kit put out this thing called the QAMP20. It was a uh, an amplifier using two IRF 510s, originally designed for 20 meters, but I just changed the low pass filter at the uh, at the end and, uh, at the output and turned it into a 40 meter thing. Then I hooked up a Sanjian frequency counter so that I could have Giuliano blue digital displays. Yeah discovered an error that I couldn't get it to work because it, it, it was it's a complex kind of a complicated mathematical and software problem apparently Sanjian's engineers made a mistake and at one point they wouldn't accept the absolute value of a subtraction so the output of the of the processor was a negative number and the display couldn't display a negative number so anyway I had to build a converter I used an NE602 and an 11 megahertz crystal, and I got the thing to work, and I've got it all calibrated. So that was kind of an interesting challenge. Pete, I wanted to put the thing on CW. So how am I going to put it on CW? I found in the junk box an old 750 hertz audio oscillator that I made. So I just put audio into the uh, into the mic jack. Somebody asked me, they said, is that really CW, or is it just sort of modulated SSB? I, I said, well, it doesn't. It seem I, it doesn't doesn't seem to make much difference to me. It, it seems like it's going to be a CW. What do you think? Is that a, is that a different? That's actually modulated CW. Yeah, yeah. But I mean, is it? It's not fundamentally different in any way from an. If I could, if I just unbalanced the the balance well, modulator, they do the same thing in the microbitics. That's how they do CW there. I think so. I think yeah, that's yes, right. Yes, it's the one audio amplifier preamp stage on the microbitics. 
they turn that into a, uh, an, an oscillator, audio oscillator, and it feeds into the balance modulator. Uh, yeah. Yes. I was looking at it the other day. I'll have to with a check on that yes. one. Yes. Okay. But I mean, I, I, I think other rigs have, have, have done it. Sure. And so anyway, I got I got it going. I needed I needed side tone, so I found a piezo buzzer that I had lay around. Next thing you know, wow, I'm on CW, CW with the hodgepodge. So this was fun. It was like almost every couple of days I was finding another thing to add, and it, it started to look like a real Rube Goldberg, or what the Heat what the Brits would call a Heath Robinson kind of thing. It was three dimensional. It kind of looked like an old style, you know, radio. It, it it was fantastic, and then I decided to switch over to the dark side. <clears throat> yes, SDR. I had an RTL SDR dongle, a dongle. I mean, how can you you you, you got to come up? SDR guys got to come up with a better name for this stuff because when you say to somebody, "Hey, I've been playing with the dongle," <laughs> yeah, you know, yeah. come on. <laughs> oh. Um. Anyway, the RTL SDR dongle. Uh, I had modified it so it would do direct sampling of HF. Normally, you would need an up converter because these are VHF devices, but it, you could do some mods inside the, the dongle so that it becomes an HF direct sampling device. I had that, hooked it up, tapped out the IF after the first mixer of the, uh, of the, uh, of the BitX module, and then fed that into HDSDR in my computer, and wow, voila, I have a panoramic, I have a waterfall coming out of the hodgepodge transceiver. That was great fun, and uh, I, it, it also gave me a chance to sort of look at the passband on my own transmitter, because I could just turn, you know, I could just disconnect the antenna and take a look at what my my passband coming out of the uh, the hodgepodge looked like. It didn't look good. I had a lot of I had a lot of opposite sideband there, and I didn't have a lot of highs. So what I knew I needed to do was to move the carrier oscillator frequency. So that became another project. How do you move the carrier oscillator frequency on the BitX40 module? Did that. Took, I just had to add a couple, add a couple of uh, 30 picofarad caps. That was great fun. Uh, anyway, it's been a real kind of uh, interesting project. The last, the last part of it was um, hooking up a tablet. Instead of using my computer as the kind of the, uh, the 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 main sdr device i just took the output from the sdr from the rtl sdr dongle and fed it into this cheapo little android tablet that i bought a few years back probably paid about 40 bucks for the thing it's really minimal your actually your adventures with the with the with the raspberry pi made me think about this because you're you're thinking about doing it with a raspberry pi computer well i have a computer that's a tablet and I yes. just fed the dongle into the tablet and got it to work. And it's, it, was, it was great. You know, receive only, of course, at this point. But, um, but I was able to see the entire 40-meter band switch around. I hooked up a Bluetooth mouse, Bluetooth mouse. Pete, I felt like I was one of the cool kids, one of the cool SDR guys there. Yeah, and, and, and let me tell you, you shared the, the video with me uh, of that display. That is really high quality, Bill. I mean, it is really excellent. I mean, that's bad. Just... Uh, thanks. I, I put I put that up. It was on the on the Patreon channel for a while, but then now it's up on the soldersmoke.blogspot.com blog. So if anybody wants to take a look at what Pete's talking about, it's a pretty amazing what you could do with. I mean, probably a total of investment of about sixty bucks. Yeah. Less now. I mean, geez, that that, that Co tablet. cost the cost capability curve. Yep. There you go. 
So anyway, it's it's been it's been fun, but you know, people have written in with concerns. Pete, people are, are concerned. And yes. Said, you know, yeah. One one. Uh, you know, Bob Care uh, wrote. Um, um, uh, Bob Ky three R wrote and said, "Wow, Bill, I, I see what you you've been therapy. doing with the SD- <laughs> yeah. No, he asked. He says, "Have you had a recent physical psychological evaluation? <laughs> yes. I think something's happened to you." <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> but Pete, I'm, I'm attempted to redeem myself because I I I I, um, I pulled the uh, the fish soup ten CWQRP rig off the shelf, dusted it off. And yesterday I was making CW contacts on 40 meters at below 200 milliwatts. As I put in my blog post a while back, because I was running QRP CW with a homebrew rig, I felt superior and vaguely virtuous. Yes, yes. Well, (laughs) you know, the thing is, though, that, that speaks a lot to, you must have a really good antenna. I have, you know, it's funny. I have, I've only have two antennas. One's a doublet that's up, pretty up, up at about thirty-five feet. The other one's kind of a low to the ground forty-meter dipole, and the forty-meter dipole does better than the higher up doublet. Wow. Probably because the higher up doublet has lobes and nulls. You know, it's because yeah. it's, it's basically cut for eighty meters. So there's going to be lobes and nulls there. Hey, but when you mentioned this, I wanted, I wanted to, to mention something that happened yesterday. It kind of an interesting tune-up situation. So I've got the uh, the fish soup ten on the bench. Now the transmitter is is essentially a tuna tin two. It's a tuna tin two that has a VFO going into it. So we talked about the tuna tin two before, but but here's what I did. I wanted I was trying to get a good an accurate measurement of how much power out was coming out of this thing. Now. It's kind of hard when you get down to really low levels because it's hard it's hard to measure the the the, the SWR meter that does a pretty good job at 100 watts might not do too good of a job at 100 milliwatts. So what I did is I had the the the, uh, the, the whole thing on the bench and I just took my Rigel scope and put it across the a- antenna output terminal with the antenna connected. And went to key down and took to, took a look at the waveform and just went to see what the you know what the peak and RMS voltage is coming out. Now, that Rigel scope has like a 10 mega 10 mega ohm input, so it's not going to affect the circuit really at all. But it's going to give you a sense of the the waveform coming out, and it's going to be able to tell you what your what the voltage is. And and you if you assume that you're going into a 50 ohm antenna. From that, you could very easily just determine how much your power out is. But here's the interesting part, Pete, and I wanted to see what you thought. think about this. When I looked at the waveform on the scope, when I first went to key down, it wasn't pretty. It wasn't a nice sine wave. There were obviously harmonics in there because you could see the little kinks. You know, the, it would come down to be a kink and a kink. And that's, you know, just quick eyeball. You could say, yeah, there's, there's harmonics in there. I have a little antenna tuner that I picked up in Italy in Trastevere years ago. And I just, as I watched the Rigol scope, I just reached over and tuned it just a little bit. And as I tuned it, those kinks just suddenly disappeared and the thing went to a really nice sine wave. I can't be sure, but it looks like there are far fewer harmonics in there now. Now, my theory is this, that the... You know, the I do have an L network. I do have a, I think a Pi network, low pass filter 
at the output of the tuna tin too. So it's not like I'm using it without a, a low-pass filter. I have a low-pass filter. But the low-pass filter to work properly requires kind of a 50-ohm non-reactive load, right? Yes. So if my antenna tuner is not tuned properly, I'm presenting a reactive load that's not 50 ohms, the low-pass filter is not working properly, and I am going to see kind of a, an ugly yes. output there. Yes. So this was kind of a satisfying way to both tune the antenna to get the load proper and to get rid of the harmonics. And I just tuned it, boom, and now it, it looks beautiful. And uh, I, I really can't notice much of a difference on the SWR meter because I think the power levels are so low. But it was I've never really tuned a, an antenna system this way before because I usually am not operating at this very, very low power up. But what do you think about all this? Does that I, make sense? I, I'd agree with your analysis, yes. First thing came to my mind when you said you got the funny-looking things, you're getting SWR being fed back, yes. Yeah. And, the, and it's just not presenting the yes. right kind of load to, for the low-pass filter to work properly. <clears throat> All right. Hey, listen, I just want to mention what's up next on my bench, what I, what I have planned for next. And this is, Pete, another result of, of your input. I get, you know, somebody said the other day, always listen to Pete. And I, I've learned I always do. So uh, a couple of weeks ago, Pete sent me a, a, a link to eBay Somebody was selling a piece, a component, one stage from Yesu FT-101. He was selling the analog VFO from an FT-101. And, and, and Pete just said, it looks good. Get it. And I think, I think you were thinking that there might be good components in there, certainly a good capacitor. Yeah. The thing came in such great shape. It's, it's really pristine. It's, it's all ready to go. So I dug up the schematics, and I found out, and because I think I haven't powered it up yet, but I'm I'm almost certain that this thing's going to work. It's all solid state. It's all discrete components. Now here's the thing, and this is a quiz question for our readers. All right, We're, today's today's program contains a quiz and a prize right? and a prize. <laughs> Pete wants to give a prize. First, I'll tell you what the quiz is. Okay, here's the here's the technical problem. The VFO from Yesu runs from 8.7 to 9.2 megahertz. I would like to use this VFO um, on in a dual band rig covering 8075, that is from 3.5 to 4 megahertz, and the 20 meter band, 14 to 14 point, what, three or 14.35 megahertz, I think, something like that. Anyway, um, so the question is, what intermediate frequency should I use? Again, single conversion, single conversion superhead. I want basically 80 and 20, and I don't want to have to move the VFO. I want to keep it right where it is, 8.7 to 9.2 megahertz. Okay, so what, what, what IF should I select? Pete and I have discussed this, and we, we know the answer. The question is whether you guys will come up with the same answer to confirm that we are on the right, the right path. Anyway, that's my next project, and I'm thinking of building it in a cool form with the big VFO on top so you could see it, maybe with some sort of a front panel. I want to use the same dial that Yesu had, and that, that FT-101 looks like a nice rig. I don't know, I was always scornful because it's not Drake or Hammerland or Helicrafters. But I'm, I'm beginning to think that those those early Yesus are worth fooling around with too. You know? Anyway, 
Good stuff. Yeah. Pete. By, by the way, the, the, the first person to submit uh, the oh. correct answer will get what, Bill? Well, you'll be at a, a, a free one-year subscription to the uh, to the Solder Smoke podcast. There you go. It's just an incentive. <laughs> that and a nickel. Because <laughs> it's all free anyway. All right. Uh, Pete, Solder Smoke mailbag. we got a lot of mail coming. It's been a long time. We haven't been on... We haven't been on because we've been talking to clubs and stuff, but here we are. We're back. A lot of good mail. Uh, Mark Zaleski sent me wooden tokens. I'm going to show you, Pete. You could see them through the miracle of video. Look at these tokens. They've got, a while back I put up on the screen, the uh, basically the Ohm's Law and the power formulas combined so that you at a glance you could just tell how to calculate power from voltage, current, or resistance, and all the different relationships there. And Mark has taken that same graph and kind of wood-burned them into two tokens. And I've got them here. And I, I, I keep them close at hand because I often forget whether it's E squared over R or I squared times R or what. Anyway, when you're, when you're tired and you have to remember quickly, it's nice to have one of these tokens around. Thank you very much, Mark. Uh, I'll be getting emails from Scott, WA9WFA. He has built a really nice mate for the mighty midget receiver. This is the receiver that I built a while back. Lou McCoy designed it for QST using three 6U8 tubes and nothing more. A couple diodes. Three 6U8 tubes, a single conversion superhead for 75 and 40 meters, 455KC IF. And a lot of these things were built. Mark has been having a tough time. Mark is a, a proficient builder, a proficient home brewer. But he's having a tough time getting this thing going. And so I've been kind of sharing with him insights from my own uh, Mate for the Mighty Midget receiver project. It's always fun when you're talking to somebody who's built something that you built and you can sort of share insights. Yeah, like, oh, wow, I had trouble with the crystal filter. Watch out. Oh, I had trouble with the alignment. You better check on that. So anyway, I'm hoping that Mark's going to get this thing going. We... um. Speaking of older rigs, we got nice emails from Trig, EI7CLB. Oh, yeah. And he found, you know, George Dobbs wrote this article for Ladybird Books on how to make a simple receiver using a wooden board as the base. Uh, Trig talked about how he and his grandmother took a trip into Dublin when he was a boy to get the wooden base so that he could build the Ladybird receiver. Now, the, most of the parts and everything are gone, but he recently found the wooden base for George Dobbs' Ladybird receiver. And I said, Trig, you got to build that same receiver again. But he didn't like the idea. He wants to build something different. I, 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 I strongly disagree. I think he should go back and build George Dobbs' yeah. original receiver. I hope that, that you, the, the Solder Smoke community will support me and let Trig know that there's really only one thing to do with that wooden board, Right. It, it I, lives you know, again. I, I, you know, I'm not. I'm not often demanding, but I mean, this is this is clear. I mean, this it is, lives it, again. Huh? It lives again. It lives again. It has to. I mean, I mean, if, if there's ever been a clear message from the radio gods, the radio gods have spoken here, Trey. I'm sorry. You have no alternative. You got to build that Ladybird receiver. I'm, there, there's just there's no doubt about it. Um, got a nice email from Tom WX2J. He heard me reference that grouchy old timer who used to get on the radio and scream no lids no kids no space cadets no school bus riders that was really terrible that uh, guy was that w20y yeah yeah who lives in infamy i mean 
He was really an old crouch. And it was just terrible. And, and he, he terrorized so many so many kids. He probably put so many kids off of ham radio because of this this very kind of unhelpful attitude. And, you know, the, what's the payback? When you say W2OY or you say no kids, no lids, no space cadets, the first thing that comes to mind is you remember this guy. That's what he's remembered for. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Who wants to be remembered for being mean to little kids? Yeah. Thank God. Yeah. All right, a, a, a word of warning to all of us. Don't do that. Uh, we got a nice email from uh, Nick, M0NTV. We were talking about sideband inversion and this problem of sideband inversion and how to figure out when sideband inversion is taking place. And Nick got into some really kind of interesting discussions about what it means and how to calculate it. And I just said, stop, please stop. I have my rule that I picked up from the QST magazine that works great. And just ask yourself, are you subtracting the signal with the modulation from the local oscillator signal? If you, if the answer is yes, sideband inversion. If the answer is no, no sideband inversion. Works for me. Keep it simple, Nick. Good, anyway, great to hear from you. Uh, we heard from Jonathan, M0JGH. He was the one who said, always listen to Pete. He did. He did, Pete. He was on the. He was the guy who took the QRP rig up into the mountains of Italy with his girlfriend, and she tolerated all of this, you know, mountaintop ham radio stuff. And you said, marry that girl. He did. And he, 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 said, <laughs> he said that we, this is the, um, the Wizard of Wimbledon. We called him the Wizard of Wimbledon. Um, but he said he doesn't like the idea of... Um, calling the, the, the children harmonics. He thinks a much more appropriate radio metaphor is to call them mixing products. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, he has his daughter is now on the scene. I think she's about two and a half, so there is a mixing product. And also, there's a lesson here for young Leo Sampson, who's out there working on the boat, the tally-ho in Washington State. Pete also said that he should marry his Italian girlfriend. And uh, Leo, I hope, I hope, I don't think Leo listens to the podcast, but uh, I know some people are in contact with Leo. Uh, I think. Um, uh, Ryan. Ryan. Yeah, Ryan. Ryan Flowers. Ryan, please get word to Leo that Pete has looked at his case <laughs> and has, has come down with the advice that he should definitely marry Becca. Becca. The girlfriend. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Uh, Mike, A E 0 I H. Sent us a really nice email. Uh, Mike recently retired after 30 years in the United States Marine Corps. His his father, who's uh, now uh, elderly, uh, has fond memories of the BC 348 uh, uh, receiver, and uh, Mike would like to get a hold of a BC 348 so he could he, he and his dad can listen to it, so his father can relive memories from World War II and the years right afterwards. So if anybody out there has a BC 348 that they could uh, share with Mike, it would, it would be for a very good cause. Please let me know, and I'll get the word back to Mike. Adam, N0ZIB, uh, sent me a link to a, a website about Gene Shepard, and there were some ham radio shows in there that I had not heard. I thought I had heard all of Gene Shepard's radio shows. There's a great one in there about Shep going to a ham fest as a, as a kid. And the thing that got me is he talked about how they had they had organized at the end of the ham fest they had organized a baseball game or a softball game. The two teams were the phone guys versus the CW guys. It's hard it's hard to imagine that today. I mean, yeah. they, they, they people beat couldn't each run other around up the bases. with the bats. <laughs> <laughs> 
it would be it's a different environment. Yeah. Um, um, Walter KA4KXX in Orlando. Uh, we we Walter's an old friend who's been involved in QRP for a long time, and he encountered a similar subtraction problem with the Sanjian frequency counter that I mentioned earlier. And I found this very encouraging because I, I realized that that if Walter was having the same problem, it wasn't just me. Was it was that the Sunrise? CW yeah, club? he 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 does the Sunrise CW Club. Yeah, and Walter's he, you know he's had many articles in, on on the internet and over the years and in Sprat. So uh, it was good to hear from Walter, and I shared with him my uh, rather kludgy solution to the Sanjian frequency counter problem. Bill N five ALO, he sent me a really nice. He was the one who sent me the really nice speaker for the KLH receiver, and I'm using it now. So when I turn on my receiver, I have one speaker right in front of the the operating position the other one over by the radio thank you very much bill they're, they're really appreciated jason n2nly uh wrote in saying that he's interested in building an ssb transceiver and pete and i i think both gave him the same advice that we give to everybody to almost everybody who says that to us one step at a time old man you might you might want to tackle a smaller project first um Trevor in Annapolis sent us an XCSD cartoon. You know these cartoons, XCSD cartoons. This one really resonated with me. It was a guy who had a technical problem, and he, and he tried to Google it to see if somebody else had had the technical problem. I do this a lot, and very often it leads you to some very productive uh, message chains where you know somebody says, yes, I had the problem. This is what I found. This is how I fixed it. But he said in the, in the cartoon, the guy does the Google and all he finds is one guy in 2003 who posted the same problem and got no responses. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so you know that there's a problem, but there's I, I, no solution. I, I hate those sometimes when you say, someone will say, yeah, I have the problem, but I have no solution. So I mean, <laughs> <laughs> thank you for your input. Yeah. We heard from Farhan. He's doing okay in India. Farhan is diligently protecting his family from the virus. Uh, did did he good... mention his folks got vaccinated? He did. He, yeah, he managed cool. to get them vaccinated, which is, I think, a big step forward. He is, his parents are, are older, and uh, so I think this is a big a big breakthrough for Farhan in India. And they were they were they were really in severe uh, lockdown mode for for a long long time. So I'm glad to hear that he's he and the family are doing better. Uh, Peter VK2EMU also doing well. We hear from Peter from time to time. Always great to hear from him. He has sent us these fine kind of um, wood carving products, including the, the key that he sent me. And, he, and I know you have a, a call sign plaque. And, and, and well, he, he does a lot of woodworking too. And sometimes uh, it's amazing what he's done with the woodworking. He, I got a little box in the mail from us. This wooden box it was all screwed together. And I said, what the hell's this? <laughs> you know, and I took the screws out, and there was an encoder in there. But he had, he had routed out the inside of the box so the encoder just fit in their net. I mean, it, it wouldn't move or anything. I said, man, that was a lot of work. It was just you mean a like little, a rotary encoder? Yeah, it was just Beautiful. a little, little box. He said, yeah, I thought you'd like to have this. He said, and he, he he was thinking how how he could send to me so it wouldn't get smashed in the mail so he's, he's quite the woodworking guy yeah he's he's, he's, he's a very very talented fellow great to, always great to hear from from peter a guy that we haven't heard from in a long time that recently chimed in with a with a blog post very welcome dave alpha alpha seven oh, yeah. echo echo aa seven ee he wrote this really wonderful article about his experience with direct conversion receivers 
and and how he he you know tried building them as a kid and couldn't get it to work. It was very similar to my experiences with DC receivers as a kid, but then he worked it into how as later in life as a young man, he uh, he casually killed a DC receiver by I think reverse polarity. He he put he, he reverse polarity. You you had mentioned reverse polarity last night when we were talking to the club and that the importance of reverse polarity protection. Dave did not protect it. He destroyed the DC receiver and then cold-bloodedly disposed of the remains in the garbage in Hollywood in in the garbage in Hollywood. And he he, he wrote in very passionately. He said, he, "I think back. How could I have done that to a perfectly good SBL one?" <laughs> yes. So anyway, it was it was good to see Dave's uh, posting there. And uh, good luck with the uh, DC receivers. Uh, no real mail, but but uh, Charlie ZL2 CTM is doing great things with simple SSB rigs. His blog posts are really wonderful. Um, we got a really nice email from Phil, Victor Kilo 8, Mike Charlie in Darwin, Australia. We don't get too many e- emails from Darwin, from Victor Kilo 8, but he sent us a, a nice article from The Guardian in the UK on Mend Not End, the, uh, the Battle Against Planned Obsolescence. Yes. The Right to Repair Movement. <clears throat> yes, it's, it, was, it was good. And then finally, I, I mentioned uh, Bob KY3R, Considering my SDR adventures, asks if I've had recent medical and psychological evaluation. I'm okay. I'm okay. I'm okay, Bob. I think. I think I'm okay. What do you think, Pete? Yeah, you're you're doing good. <laughs> All right, we're gonna wrap it up. It, it's it's the end of the show, Pete. Seven threes from Northern Virginia. Seven threes from the left coast. Thanks, everybody. Yeah. Take Ciao. care. Ciao. 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 See you. Bye. Bye. That's awesome. The Subtle Smoke Podcast produces once or twice a month using roadkill computers in an electronics workshop somewhere in the wilds of northern Virginia. The podcast is available by iTunes and directly from our website, soddersmoke.com. Our blog, Soddersmoke Daily News, is at soddersmoke.blogspot.com. Send an email to soddersmoke, that's one word, at yahoo.com. Soddersmoke is listener-supported. And there are, and there are many, many ways you can help keep the podcast going. Please, Please spread, spread the word. Let your friends, friends know about Solder, Solder Smoke, Smoke, the podcast, and our, and our blog. Put links to the podcast and the blog on your website. Buy a copy, a copy of the Critically Acclaimed book, Solder, Solder Smoke, Smoke, Global Invention Wireless Electronics, available from Lulu.com. Begin all your visits to Amazon via the Amazon link on our blog page. In this way, Solder Smoke gets a mission from anything you buy on Amazon. Buy some, some of our attractive Solder Smoke t-shirts, coffee mugs, and bumper stickers at the Solder Store or CafePress.com. If you have a small business, consider advertising on the podcast or on the blog. Our rates are reasonable and our staff is friendly. If none of this appeals to you but you still want to help, well, we have a donation button in the upper left-hand corner of the blog page. However you choose to help, we thank you for your support. Ciao, 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 ciao.